0: counterfeiting of goods and theft of intellectual property has become an international plague. What to do? Hi everybody, I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Counterfeiting has been with us since the creation of legitimate goods. And IP theft has been rampant for just as long. There's scarcely a product today that can't be duped and sold for a fraction of its cost. For years, manufacturers looked the other way, convinced there was little they could do to wipe out the scourge. With the growth of international trade, however, the issue has become magnified. Hundreds of billions of dollars are at stake. Lives can be threatened by poor quality knockoffs of products such as aircraft engine parts and pharmaceuticals. My guest today, Professor Michael R. Tsinkota of the McDonough School of Business at Georgetown University, fills us in on the severity of the problem. We'll learn what companies must do to put a stop to the practice. And he tells us why he's optimistic that progress can be made in the battle against counterfeits and IP theft. So here is my conversation with Michael R. (music) Sincotta. Professor Michael Sincotta, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Bob. It's a pleasure. You describe counterfeit products and services as an international plague. Would you describe the scope of the problem as you see it in global commerce today?
1: Well, nowadays that we have globalization and, and uh, around the world, everybody is participating in international trade, that has magnified the issue of counterfeiting uh, since everybody is part of counterfeiting, willingly or unwillingly, uh, we basically have a situation where uh, the losses uh, are in the billions, in the high billions. Uh, some estimates are $650 billion plus per year in terms of counterfeiting. But even more critically, uh, we don't really always know that we get what we thought we were going to get. And that, of course, is extremely troublesome, for example, if, you, if somebody has counterfeit pharmaceuticals. Uh, not only does, does that person waste a lot of money, but it may not get the healing power the real pharmaceuticals would bestow upon them. So it is a big problem, a scary problem, but something that is... I believe eventually in
0: remission. It's been with us for, for a long time, for many, many years. Is it any worse today than in the past? Well, in terms of quantity, yes, but
1: I think that is to a large degree uh, the result of concurrent growth with international trade growth. But I, I believe there is much more awareness of the issue, there is much more willingness to do something about it, and There is much more recognition that something can be done about it. Uh, you know, for many, many years, uh, it, it was basically a shrugging of the shoulders, uh, almost like boys will be boys, uh, that, that some groups will just keep on ripping off intellectual property. But in the meantime, we have come to a point where Countries and companies increasingly are saying we we don't want to and we cannot afford to run the risk of counterfeit products and we're going to do something about it. We're going to actively track, monitor and remediate the problem together with government authority.
0: Well, let's talk about China for for a moment. For many years, China was considered one of the worst violators, both of counterfeit products and stealing of intellectual property. What is going on in China now? Are there actual efforts underway to curb these practices?
1: Well, first, in general terms, I, I think we have seen a substitution of problems. Intellectual property is, of course, still a major problem with China. But uh, industrial espionage, to my mind, would be a much greater concern uh, now and forward-looking to the future. Uh, At the same time, I should say it is not a particular Chinese problem, meaning we can't ascribe it to China uh, because that's how China is. Rather, it's, it's a function of... Countries on the lower end of the development scale, on the lower end of the income scale, have less opportunity and also willingness to pay for intellectual property. Do keep in mind that uh, one of the key complaints in the 1800s by Britain was that this colony across the Atlantic would not pay for intellectual property. Leading America did not pay to the degree that the British expected payment. And that was nothing evil doing by Americans. It just meant there was not enough money and not enough willingness to transfer the money abroad. Then eventually the Chinese and, and of course, with them also the Vietnamese, the Indonesians, uh, many, many countries which are struggling to... Dig themselves out of the hole of poverty and and become active, wealthy participants in international trade. They have also have had their problems with intellectual property. But as these countries are improving in terms of their economic well-being, so is their willingness to be active and acceptable players with counterfeit or uh, fighting counterfeits.
0: And so you would think that about China, would you not? Because as it matures as a growing economy and 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 continues on its path to becoming eventually the world's biggest economy, uh, I would think that it is reconsidering or, or moving forward in, in protecting IP and fighting counterfeits, right?
1: Absolutely, yes. China is discovering not just externally but also internally – that intellectual property is, is exactly what it says. It's intellectual and it's property and it deserves and needs to be protected. Uh, just as one example, if, if you think about it, recently we've had Alibaba go on the international markets. Alibaba, the trading platform, um, a key trading platform, I should say, of China. These types of activities were Typically seen as totally irrelevant to intellectual property or counterfeit protection. Uh, but if you look at just Alibaba alone, these guys spend more than 16 million dollars a year fighting counterfeit products because they've discovered that unless they give a, a reasonable expectation of originality and and truthfulness to their customers they're not going to grow anymore as much as they want to grow so they're they've come basically from a u.s vantage point to over to the side of the angels in terms of they will uh, fight for non-counterfeit products
0: Certain products, I, I, th- I think, for example, in the entertainment industry, I wonder if they'd be less susceptible to counterfeiting going forward. I mean, one of the biggest areas of counterfeiting for many years was movies and music. Uh, now those products are becoming digitized, and we're seeing uh, fewer and fewer actual physical media being sold. So I wonder if that becomes more difficult to counterfeit, at least in that particular area. Well, I would, I would
1: actually think that it becomes with digitization be- becomes more more easy to uh, produce knockoffs and distribute them around the world. At the same time, I mean, this is not just a one-way street. Uh, Just take, for example, say, African music and consider that again and again, such music, such rhythm becomes incorporated into our uh, Western music, so to speak, but all this takes place uh, without compensation, where U.S. firms don't necessarily go back to Africa saying, we we learned about this particular rhythm here, and now we're going to try to track down who was responsible for its development so that we can make some kind of royalty payments.
0: But certainly there's a a difference between being influenced by music from another culture and just stealing the actual work 100% outright.
1: Absolutely is there a difference. You're absolutely right. But at the same time, if you look at, for example, complaints that uh, Western countries are filing with uh, organizations such as the World Trade Organization, or that they are raising in international negotiations naturally stealing is, is is a key dimension but the accusations made go way beyond the stealing level and are often called misappropriation and uh, my my only point is that misappropriation happens in both directions obviously, still much more in the developing areas rather than the post-industrialized nations. Nobody has a totally clean vest on this.
0: So where is it most serious today? Number one, in terms of countries, and number two, in terms of industries and products?
1: Well, in, in terms of countries, I, I think we're looking a lot at uh, developing countries, emerging nations. The BRIC nations, the countries that are not that much participating, that are not participating that much in international trade, they are more likely to infringe on intellectual property and not yield payments. In terms of products, you're looking really at a very broad uh, spectrum ranging anywhere, let's say, from pharmaceuticals to aircraft engines in terms of input. Um, and and let, let me just maybe expand on that for a second, because historically, what concerned negotiators and companies most was that their product would be counterfeited by others. Increasingly, of course, we are understanding to uh, that the input in the production process such as raw materials and components can also be counterfeited and are being counterfeited as a result it's not as easy anymore to just point towards one one bad guy abroad but uh, it it can happen to be from a whole, spectrum of suppliers who bring counterfeit products into the production process. And if uh, you're
0: talking if you're talking about pharmaceuticals and aircraft engines, that's life-threatening. That's not just like a knockoff purse or a watch or a CD.
1: Absolutely. And and that's as I mentioned is what makes the entire area of so grave a concern because if if that bolt or screw or whatever fails in that aircraft engine really bad things can happen to that plane and and uh, also with with pharmaceuticals or in and and keep in mind that coming back to your question on products we're looking at strong brand names we're looking at products which are hard to control in in terms of their origin and their destination. And uh, we are looking at products where there's high value added and as a result, often a high degree of risk.
0: I think we're really talking about two separate issues, it seems to me here. One is the actual counterfeiting of, of products and parts, as you say. The other is intellectual property. Now, China was known for many years for enforcing, uh, if you wanted to get into a joint venture with a Chinese company, and indeed you were often required to in order to be in that market, oftentimes you were required to give them your intellectual property. And what they did with it uh, wasn't always uh, legal, but they had it, and you were forced to give it to them as part of the relationship. The other side of it being contract manufacturers who would be making your products uh, at the front door legally, and then out the back door using your IP for knockoff products. How serious is the IP problem as opposed to actual product counterfeiting? Well, IP is,
1: is quite important, and as, as I mentioned, in terms of industrial espionage, which I consider also part of the entire IP problem, that is actually on the rise even though most countries will will tell you that uh, it only appears that way because uh, there is so much more activity in listening to each other. Just think of the NSA problems that the U.S. has faced, uh, but also that other countries suffer under or apply uh, amply uh, and, and the excuse very often given is that what they do in terms of listening and ferreting out information is simply a internet, a international information issue contributing to national security and peace, uh, rather than a commercial issue. But, uh, what one sees and hears from, from firms is, uh, almost the, the reverse, namely that there is grave concern on part of many countries and companies that uh, knowledge gleaned through, say, unconventional technology is also being used to strengthen the economic security of countries. And that is done by passing information systematically on to uh, one's own firms.
0: And then I guess it also leads to the somewhat related issue of cyber attacks and hacking, which often come from the same sources as those engaging in industrial espionage, right?
1: Absolutely. They use a different approach, but uh, the outcome, namely changing the picture or the power of competition and the allocation of resources, uh, remains similar.
0: All right. Well, let's talk about progress toward, toward addressing this problem and some of the solutions that are out there uh, that, might, that might address it successfully. What is being done right now to curb counterfeiting and enforce uh, intellectual property rights?
1: Well, many, many companies have discovered, uh, surprising as it may be that this discovery took so long, that uh, it makes sense to work with their governments in curtailing these practices you know being at georgetown we often get industry speakers from around the country or uh, and around the world and i uh clearly remember industry uh, CEOs from from very large and leading firms who would come and say well we're here in Washington for Georgetown's vi- for visit to Georgetown University but typically we are not really interested what's going on here and whenever i hear something along the, those lines i'm i'm just thinking uh you haven't learned yet and, and typically, uh, a few years later, one sees where these firms open up their own lobbying offices in, in Washington and, of course, also in Brussels and, and other countries. But the uh, point is that companies are getting more involved. They're understanding better what kind of risk they're running because if, if we think about it down the road, if something goes wrong with a product, regardless of whether that's because of counterfeiting or intellectual property violations which have been mispositioned um, as customers and as consumers we don't really care it doesn't matter if if a if a plane has a mishap due, due to some intellectual property problem we only see the mishap of the plane what is the, who is the manufacturer of the plane or maybe even who is the manufacturer of the engines? So in, in that sense, companies have a real risk position, uh, together with their, their products as they, they are exposed to counterfeiting and IP problems. And, and as companies recognize that, they become more active and they try to change things
0: internationally who is the police force who can enforce this
1: well now you're you're asking two two separate questions (laughs) because there is if you if you will a a information force and even a judgment force actually there are several of them but the most prominent one is the world trade organization in geneva but then there comes always the crucial second part, which you included, namely, who is who is policing, who is enforcing this? And that's where it gets much more iffy because there are no black helicopters of the World Trade Organization and there are no elite troops which would break down intellectual property manifestations. So even if a country is being told by a review panel of the world trade organization that yes your intellectual property rights are being violated at best what happens is that this same review panel can say well we believe the damages to be x and you the country may retaliate against the other country which which permits these violations up to that amount. But of course, that's when things become very complex and not just business affected, but of course, also politics and policy affected. And all of a sudden, things don't look as easy anymore as one thought they would be.
0: So no real teeth to this then?
1: No real teeth in terms of enforcement. That is correct.
0: Is there any hope that such an uh, environment might be created, or maybe I don't know what through Interpol or through other some organ, some other organization that could take this more seriously and actually begin to enforce the dictates of the WTO? Uh,
1: well, I'm not sure whether Interpol would work as as it is the international police organization. It might become active in, under conditions where the repercussions of counterfeiting or intellectual property violations uh, lead to uh, additional damages, your proverbial pharmaceutical, which is ineffective as a counterfeit. So I'm not sure about Interpol, but I, I do see with national organizations or supranational ones in the U.S., for example, the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative, uh which is tar- part of the executive office of the president i do see where there is much more concentration on intellectual property issues that there are much more proposed many more proposals to convince different other government agencies let's say here in the us the department of commerce or department of agriculture to take steps to discourage uh, such violations and of course, then nowadays, we're getting more and more into the personalization of such conflicts. For example, that, uh, the United States prohibits entry to certain policy makers and business executives in order to indicate displeasure with what they do in their homes. That has happened with countries like Russia. Um, that has happened, uh, just lately with countries like Hungary. And uh, uh, those those are sort of spin-off regulations which are expected to make life uncomfortable for such violators. And, and I, c- I can see where this over time might play also into the trade area. Right now it's not a trade issue yet. it becomes it's still a policy issue. In the general sense, it's an issue of bribery, it's an it's an issue of confiscation, but I can see that being expanded over the next five to ten years much more into the trade realm.
0: Well, we're almost out of ta- time, but I, I do want to ask you if you are at all optimistic about the prospects for an improvement in this situation, both on the counterfeiting side and the intellectual property protection side.
1: Uh, yes, I am optimistic. I think... That uh, national focus and international focus is always a critical issue with concerns like that. And many times one country or a small group of countries has one concern, but other countries have totally different concerns. For example, some countries are mainly concerned about growing things. They're, They're really worried about agricultural issues. Others are concerned about manufacturing things. Others yet are looking at, uh, managing things. And they all have different concerns. But intellectual property is one of those overarching issues where countries are increasingly recognizing, even though it may not be on the top of their list today, it will be tomorrow. So, uh, it, it makes sense to, grow concerned and start doing things about such such issues. And that happens increasingly. And as a result, I believe that uh, there will be more efforts and more results uh, in preventing the counterfeiting or uh, abuse of intellectual property rights.
0: Professor Michael Sinkota, I really want to thank you for being with us today and helping to put this whole issue of counterfeiting and IP protection into perspective, giving us some ideas on how it might be cured and, and maybe even a peek at the future. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Bob, for having me on your show.
0: That was my conversation with Professor Michael Art Cinkota of Georgetown University. Talking about the problem with product counterfeiting and intellectual property theft. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast. for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes.